Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Diane Hamilton. Welcome to Leaders Playbook, a show about how to drive transformational impact in your organization. We talk with innovative leaders across multiple industries to hear about the best tools, resources, practices, and strategies to help you reach the top of your game. I can't wait to share our leaders' insights with you. Hello, everyone. I am your host, Dr. Diane Hamilton, and I'm the CEO of Tenera. I also serve on the Board of Advisors for the Global Mentor Network. Thank you for joining us. Today, our guest is Ola Snow of Cardinal Health, which is an American multinational health services company and the 14th highest revenue generating company in the U.S. Ola is the co-executive sponsor for the DNI Council and an advisor for the Black and African American Racial Equity Cabinet two internal groups charged with challenging the status quo and ultimately helping to advance our diversity, equity, and inclusion. In addition, she's led more than 25 merger and acquisition opportunities within the HR function, including the acquisition of Cordis. We're thrilled to have Ola join us on the show today to share what they're doing at Cardinal Health to get out of status quo. I'm so excited to have you here, Ola. Welcome. Thank you. I am so excited and honored to be here as well. Excited about the hour. Yeah, this is great. I was really looking forward to this because status quo ties into so much that I research and I'm really excited to jump into that. But I really want to get your backstory before we go on because I, I gave a, a you know a little bit about you and, and all the great things you're doing at Cardinal Health. But how did you reach that level of success? It's been a journey for sure. And I think it's been a journey for every CHRO out there. I am maybe a bit unique in the fact that I that I majored in HR. I have remained in HR and, and been at this organization for 21 years. So a little bit about my background here at, at Cardinal Health. I, I started out in our field location, our regional pharmaceutical distribution. It was a great way for me to learn the business understand how we make money and really learn every facets of healthcare and, and what we do. So I have served as many business partners in, in tons of different kinds of businesses here at Cardinal Health. And I've led business partner teams. I've led centers of excellence. But, you know, through all the experiences that I've had, I think it's it's been about understanding and coming to the table. It sounds cliche as a business leader first. We, in fact, are business leaders leading one of the most important capital of our organizations, that's human capital. So it's been around building that business acumen, building your organizational EQ and your emotional EQ through the organization, but building trust with your stakeholders, whether it's your board of directors, your employees, your candidates along the way. So it's been a rich experience. I've done a little bit of everything and just love in being in this seat and, and leading this great organization. You know, that's a tough position too. That's a big responsibility. And I, you know, as you said, I, you started in HR. So did I actually, and they used to call it personnel. They did <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was about staffing back then and listening to people along the way, but it, boy, is it changed and and evolved. And uh, whether it be COVID or workplace of the future, we are dealing with some of the, you know, highest priorities for for organizations as they find the new normal and continue to thrive in the the marketplace. So that's an exciting place to be. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the new normal is. But, you know, I don't know if there is one as you you know, I I think it's the next normal. It's the next normal, right. I read in your bio that you challenge the status quo. And I'd love that because 
the new normal is always going to change. And when I researched curiosity, I always have people tell me, you know, well, how do you define curiosity? And for me, I don't think it's just about questioning things or learning something new. I, I look at it as getting out of status quo behaviors. So I want to know what you do at Cardinal Health to shake things up, because I'd love to get company examples of how you, you get out of status quo. And maybe you do it in those two internal groups I talked about, or how, how do you advance diversity, equity, inclusion, and not stay in the old status quo way? Curiosity happens to be one of our leadership competency. We call them behaviors. So it's something that we that we want our every single person in our organization leaders to to do in our organization is to be curious and to do just that. Question the status quo, push on the status quo. But I'll tell you a little bit about how we do that in diversity, equity, inclusion. So, you know, first and foremost, this is an organization that I think leads around diversity, equity, inclusion. It's an organization that leans in and, and culture is so important to achieving business results. But it is about understanding and, and listening to your employees and listening to your candidates. And I remember as we really came into I would call the second phase of our DNI strategy. I learned really quickly that you had to listen. And I remember saying to my leaders in HR around the organization, we're going to go out and build a, a group of, of truth tellers that's been through our council as well as our African American and Black cabinet. And we're going to hear things that we may, may be hard to hear about why are people not thriving in our organization? Where are they thriving in our organization? So we're going to listen and learn so that we can act and, and make a difference. I think really it is, is about surrounding yourself with truth tellers that really tell you what's going on in the organization. It's vitally important to make sure that you're building a culture where people can grow and thrive and bring 100% of themselves to work, but really understanding what is keeping people from being their best is is equally important. So we meet with those group of, of business leaders. They help shape our strategies, both in the organization as well as in the function. But just asking a lot of questions of why we do things. Why do we do it like that? Why are we, you know, why do we do that? Is it keeping people from being their best? And so it's been a, a journey that will continue. The other thing around really challenging the status quo is you've got to be transparent. And so for us, transparency is really at the heart of our culture. We talk about where we do things well. We talk about things that aren't well. We're one of the organizations that's come probably very transparent with their DNI statistics, whether it be pay equity or representation, and, and we have goals along the way. So building that trust with employees so that you can also challenge the status quo, I think is, is imperative to organizations. And I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it's just so interesting when I train organizations to develop curiosity. I use a lot of the research from Francesca Gino at Harvard and others who have shown, you know, I think a lot of leaders, or and this is what the data shows, believe they encourage curiosity. But then if you ask employees, they may not think it's encouraged as well, because sometimes there's a mismatch. How do you know that the culture that you're trying to set up is what you're actually getting? How do you measure that? I mean, is, is it possible to? Well, you know, I think there's probably two ways you can come about this. And we call it our comprehensive listening strategy. First and foremost, you have to set a culture where 
you listen to employees, but you act on what you hear too. If you're just going out and asking employees, whether it be a survey or a pulse survey and don't do anything with that, then that just erodes trust. And again, certainly you won't have a curious culture. So, you know, measurements an easy one is a, is a hard thing to, to talk about, but here's how we kind of go about it. One is I think you do have mechanisms in place where you can go out and measure your progress. That may be through goals, that may be through engagement surveys or pulse, but you can have a trend over time that I think will tell you a lot through metrics. But metrics without tone, I think, is where a lot of organizations break down. And so what is your data telling us? But what is the tone of your organization as well? Are they, does your metrics match what people are saying about you? So both in our DNI council as well as our cabinet, it really has to be both. How are people feeling? And that is just going out and having conversations, whether it be onboarding or exit, quite frankly. What are all of those facets that you can bring together to understand how your organization is feeling and are they curious and are you building trust with your employees? And that's so important. I'm curious though, what led to your interest in adding curiosity as one of your core values? Well, it was one of the things as we were building our mission, vision and values and rebranding that a little bit was we went out and talked to a lot of employees. And we we looked at many of our employees and curiosity tended to be one. We're in healthcare. It is a natural thing of wanting to improve for the customer. But we found with our employees and with our leaders who are really thriving in the environment and doing great work, curiosity was really at the, the heart of it. Going out and talking to customers every day about what their needs were and how we could help accomplish those needs Healthcare changes and is so dynamic in any any way. So any organization that's not curious isn't just going to serve and meet the needs of their customers. So it's something that our customers need and expect of us to be curious and help them advance healthcare and improve care in their own organization. So curiosity has got to be around meeting the needs of your customers as well as your employees. You know, I, I probably got interested in curiosity from working in the healthcare field. One thing they taught us, I worked at AstraZeneca 15 years in pharmaceuticals, was R&D was so important. And some of those things are so important in certain industries that you have to be looking for the next opportunity. And these organizations were all just starting to merge together when I left. I saw that you led through a lot of mergers and acquisitions, which is also another very challenging time because talk about culture, you're mixing these cultures together. And I was with Zeneca and we merged with Astra to become AstraZeneca, but it was pretty easy because we kind of had similar cultures. I didn't see a big difference, but I imagine that's not always that easy. So I'm curious the challenges you faced when you've had to deal with mergers and acquisition and how'd you overcome them? Well, I think if anyone just does a simple Google search on what's the biggest failure of an M&A project, it's culture, right? And we can probably all think of many organizations that came together, multiple organizations that came together and just didn't see eye to eye. So first of all, I think it starts with due diligence. It when the deal is done, not not the time to think about culture. Now, we have a, a culture playbook in our 
in our M&A practice. And so our HR leaders come to the table with the business leaders, with the finance leaders, and really look at that organization from 360, all facets. And, you know, bad cultures seem to turn up in other areas of an organization. But I do think that, you know, first and foremost, some of the biggest challenges can be around thinking about how to merge these these cultures together. You know, one of the other things I'll tell you that's always a challenge when it comes to M&A is just simply time, right? It is always a mad dash and not just on the culture side, but just the simple blocking and tackling and making sure that you're onboarding and can pay people correctly and they're in the right tax codes and all of that is just simply always something that we have to think about. But back to culture, I think you have to think about how do you honor the past and get employees excited about the future? And to your point, hopefully your culture, your values, your mission isn't too far off. That's the best scenario ever. And I do think that that organizations are smart to look at organizations that, that are very similar to them, at least in their core values. That honestly is, I think, a key to success. But you've got to honor the past of those employees because, again, their culture is what has made them successful. And how do you bring these two cultures together and take the best of the best is how we like to frame it. And that's so true. And as I've been being addicted to watching the succession, have you watched succession? <laughs> not yet. I haven't. I have not. It's very addictive. Don't get into it or you'll never do anything okay. else. But if you watch it, it, they're always merging or always acquiring or all in it. And it's like, of course, it happens in one episode, but not real life. The power plays of who wants to remain the stronger culture of who wants to remain the, the top dog when these happen. Is that something you have had to deal with? And does somebody always feel like maybe they've lost just a little bit? Do you have to give up a little to merge? Well, I think you have to to take it into consideration. And I do think you have to think about kind of what is the DNA of the two organizations. And and we have, you know, we've seen some very successful M&A project Cardinal and probably not some not so successful too. And when you peel back that onion, it may not necessarily be the culture of the organization, but it may be just of, of what the the prime focus is. We acquired a very clinical organization at one point in our past and and the two just didn't coincide, right? Really used to putting out an R&D organization. And for us, we act probably more like a distribution organization than a clinical organization. So you've got to be careful about that too, around making sure that you're merging your missions together. But I don't know that people have to win or not. Sometimes I've seen that uh, acquired organizations feel like they're the big dog in town, but you have to kind of set those guiding principles up front. And I do think the the time that you spend with your, your acquired management team is really important because they will help set the tone with your employees. And they will help, I think, set that that win-win strategy of it's okay. This is an organization that we're going to that's going to commit to us, invest in us. And so if you're just upfront and transparent with that team and, and that group and their employees, I think it can help really set the great tone for winning in that in that area. It's definitely good to have that transparency. And I think that Giving people realistic expectations just when they join the company in general is, is really important. I've seen situations where a job 
descriptions don't match what you end up doing. I've seen all kinds of crazy things when you're hiring new people. And so you sometimes struggle when you merge with companies, maybe they had low engagement and retention, or you're trying to attract new people. And maybe where they worked in the past, they struggled with low engagement, because sometimes what they've used to try and keep people around, maybe the methods worked really well in the past, but they kind of stayed status quo, what worked in the past. And sometimes there's new ways to motivate people now that didn't work and that didn't maybe even be exist in the past, I should say. And now we want to attract and keep the best people. How do we do that and do it in a non-status quo way and keep up with the times? Well, I think we have in this new era of kind of post-COVID, we've, we've seen, I think, candidates, employees, and, and companies really have to partner differently than they have before. You know, as I said earlier, we are focused on a culture where people can bring their best to work. They can thrive. They can dedicate themselves to a mission around healthcare and and really grow their careers at a at a great organization. But it is very different than in the past. And and honestly, I think it's it's a great thing because there's no bigger challenge out there than attracting and retaining great talent. And I do think you have to create that culture where you both can win. The company is winning and the, and the person is winning and they can clearly see how they will belong in an organization. So let's break it down because I think there are three components that are critically important. So from a recruitment standpoint, our jobs, we're not just recruiting for jobs any longer. We're recruiting for careers. And I'm sure you know this, but people look for companies they want to work for, not for jobs any longer. So first and foremost, you've got to be a good marketer along with being a good steward of the business. So employee value propositions, talking about culture, what are you doing around ESG? Those are all things around building an employment brand because employees care and they want to work for great organizations. So we're thinking about attracting talent again and being transparent about what you do well and what you don't do well. I think we start thinking about retention the day that our employees start with us. And really that's all around development. People want to come to organizations where they can grow and develop, whether that's a warehouse worker that just wants to learn a different part of that organization or an executive that wants to continue to grow as well. So retention is about that transparency, that that culture, but you've got to have some practices in place that you can build that rapport and build that that relationship. For us, it's about having those four touch bases every single year that focuses on an employee's future. We call them our time to talk. But I do think you you have to think about fostering a culture where people can thrive. We've done a lot this past three years on mental health and making sure that employees can come to a place where they can be themselves. It's okay to not be okay at times. And how do you think about that as as some of your biggest retention tools, right? How can you just make sure that employees can bring their best, contribute, grow, but also be transparent around what's going on in their lives? I think that's that's key to, to retention as well. There's no 
harder time than we faced, I think, in our recent history. Employees can, can make a change almost automatically, but making sure that you want to create a space where people want and can belong, I think, is so important. It really is. You know, as you were saying all that, it just reminded me of the saying that people say, though, you know, that people don't leave organizations, they leave bosses. And do you agree with that? And if that's the case, how do you know what the bosses are all doing? And how do you make sure that there's not that boss that's maybe not going along with it, what everybody's hoping he or she's doing? Well, again, you can kind of peel back your your data a little bit and look at, you know, we have the ability to look at almost down to our, our leader level, VOE data, safety data, ethics data, like there's just so much information at your fingertips, but you also have the tone of your organization as well on that too, so that you can understand. For us, we're very upfront. Here are the roles and responsibilities of being a manager in our organization. It may not be for everyone. That means having courageous conversations around DNI, having courageous conversations or being able to help people who might be struggling with burnout or, or mental health. I think the roles of managers are completely different than they were five years ago. And we're kind of upfront around the expectations of that leadership. It's cliche to say that leadership is a responsibility, but it's it's certainly one that can be just, you know, so gratifying if you know that you're helping people be their best and do their best work and some of the most important work out there around healthcare. So you've got to keep your pulse on the organization in different ways. But being upfront and about the roles and responsibilities, I think is, you know, you have to do that through we have tons of training, manager capability, making sure that as the organization changes and the expectations of your employees change, that you can make sure that you're raising their capabilities along with the expectations of their workforce as well. The best training I've ever received by far was in the medical field. I mean, they really do a nice job in your industry because there's so much to know and to learn. And I I think that when I worked with them, it was before I wrote my dissertation, which was about emotional intelligence. And I learned a lot when I was researching that because it tied into so much that they rated us on when I was in that field. They actually were ahead of their time looking at our sense of self-awareness, for example, which is a big part of emotional intelligence. But I think you brought up the word empathy before. And empathy is such a big part of emotional intelligence. And I think that some companies really get that they need to do this training and focus a lot on that in leadership, maybe more in leadership and not in other parts of the the company. Do you do much in terms of emotional intelligence training or any kind of soft skills training that you think is really helpful? I I love talking about this because it's an area that I think we're continuing to evolve, but I'm proud of, of what we do. And I'll give you an example that I just heard last week as I talk about this. So yes, we absolutely do training. And again, I I look at it as leadership training, not just soft skills training. But first and foremost, we teach our managers to listen. You have to listen to your employees. Employees, you're not directing work anymore. And we all know that every employee has different needs, different desires. And so you have to think about each individual on your team. And we teach that as well. And 
whether it's our frontline training, we call it leading the cardinal way, or first aid in mental health that we put our our managers through, whether it's unconscious bias training, where we, every person that's eligible for a bonus in our organization goes through what I would call leadership capabilities, and it all is centered around culture and the needs of of your employees. So we have some comprehensive strategies when it helps our managers tune into the needs of their employees. And that includes empathy, that includes being authentic and vulnerable back to employees. That's where the real connection happens. It goes back to helping employees thrive. And, And honestly, we know that employees do leave organizations because they don't have that connection. I'll tell you a really quick story. Last week, I I heard from a manager. During the pandemic, we start all of our just regular one-on-ones that all our managers do with their employees with a simple question. Tell me how you're doing. And that alone has opened itself up. And sometimes you have to ask twice, no, tell me really how you're doing. And so manager sent me an email and, and talked about the training that they had been through. And they started just a weekly update with a manager on their team and opened it up with, tell me how you're doing. And the, the employee started to cry. And so what turned out to be a list of, of projects and how they were doing towards their goal ended up uh, that that manager helped that employee talk through some of their issues, that they were struggling at home, that their children were having a hard time going back to school. And that employee then called our employee assistance program. So what that they didn't have to direct them to the HR organization or the benefits organization. They were able to handle that really tough conversation and where that employee was struggling with empathy and grace and a solution. And boy, was that did was that such a gratifying point that a manager could really be the first line of help to one of their employees. And again, understand what were some of the challenges that they were facing in their their daily workforce as well. So it's a great tool. We also know that our younger generations expect that from their managers. And so we're training for today, but also training for the future as well. That's a great story. And it, it reminds me a little bit of, I interviewed Doug Conant, who turned Campbell Soup around. And one of the things he said turned him around was when he was looking for a job at one point, he was asked, how can I be of help? Or how can I assist you? Or something to that effect. And when you ask a question like that, a really open-ended question, it lets people open up quite a bit. And I, I think we get to see their perception that maybe we wouldn't have seen if we don't ask those open-ended questions. because you know, we hear perception is reality. And we've got all these people with these unique perceptions of the same thing. And you're working with all these teams. And on the team, they all have supposedly the same goal. But if we're all seeing things in a different way, how do we know what everybody's unique vantage point is or realities unless we're asking these kinds of questions? Well, and I think we as leaders have to set the tone at the top. So one of the most important things that we did during the pandemic was we, like most organizations, we communicated a lot. But what we did differently was I think we 
we really did teach our managers authenticity and vulnerability. I did a podcast on what I was worried about. And one of my team members just kind of did a fireside chat with me. And at the time I was leading our COVE strategy. And I was, I mean, this was pre any kind of, of knowledge and, and certainly before the, the, uh, the shots or the boosters. And people asked me what I was worried about. And I was making honestly like decisions, right? Half of our organization was still coming to work every day. We had to contact trace. We had to keep them safe. That was a guiding principle. And then the other was at home dealing with children who aren't going to school and, you know, all of that. And I was vulnerable to say that, you know, I'm worried about my children. I'm worried about a husband who has a health condition. I'm honestly worried about what color my hair is going to look like next month because everything was closed down. And that authenticity of just being vulnerable and and really setting the tone at the top of what that I think that that goes such a long way and that it's, again, okay to be vulnerable. And that really has not just me, but all of our management team practice that. That's who we are. Those that that genuine in whatever that looks like for you. But setting that tone at the top, I think, is so critical, important. And again, just being it to say, you know, I'm not sleeping very well. And and I've used the EAP. That sets a different tone for your for your managers and your employees that I think for us, we feel like it's just so important to be our authentic selves. I, I like the vulnerability. And that's one of the things when I work with organizations to help them build curiosity or perception is that we talk about how you have to emulate what you want <laughs> from your employees, right? To get out of status quo, back to status quo. Because if you're showing that you're vulnerable, that you're not afraid to ask questions, you're not afraid to share that you're worried, you're not afraid of all these things, then your employees will feel much more confident to tell you what's on their mind, what's bothering them, what's, you know, and, and follow suit. So I love that. I think that to get out of status quo, we sometimes just rely too much on, of course, what worked in the past, but we also rely too much on what works in our industry only. You know, well, this works for our competitor and this works. Do you ever look outside to other industries? I mean, I remember when I wrote about Curiosity, I wrote about a hospital that brought the Formula One race car team in to help them be more efficient. I mean, they really went outside their industry to get different ideas. How do you know where to look for ideas that's not just status quo? It's a great question. I kind of use lots of different channels, but I'll, I'll focus on two. I have a, we have a local CHRO group kind of in the Columbus area. So lots of different industries. You've got retail in there, insurance in there. You've actually got hospital systems in there, insurance, just it's a vast differences. And we connect at least once a month. And we like to connect in person at least once a quarter. And we just talk about, you know, it's one of those kind of Robert's rules of what what happens at dinner stays in the dinner or, or, or you know, but we do kind of share around best practices. And, and I love that with the CHROs because, you know, it's not about reinventing every new will. It's about sharing those practices. I also sit on the Columbus Women's Commission, where it really is about advancing women and advancing women pay here in the Columbus area. And I have to tell you, I learn as much from small organizations and mid-sized organizations when I do big organizations. How are they nimble? How are they thinking about well-being a little bit differently? So a lot of things around mental well-being or 
sometimes it can feel really big at a big organization of 46,000 employees. How are those CEOs and CHROs of 100 people, what are they doing and what can we learn from them? And understanding how to be nimble, how to be quick, how to be responsive. So I like looking outside of other industries, but also looking at smaller organizations that, that are that are excelling as well, I think are both things that we all need to think about. When I left the fourth, fifth, whatever largest chemical company in the world, and I went to work for a really small banking company, I really got such a different outlook of how things could be done. Because I think when you sometimes when you're in a big company, you get a lot of PowerPoint presentations and fancy things that get you motivated or whatever. And then one thing I really loved about the smaller organization was that I got really useful, like this is what you take into the field and do tomorrow kind of things. And I think that a lot of these companies can really benefit from looking at different sizes, like you said, because sometimes you think these big companies like the Blockbusters and the Kodaks aren't here anymore because they thought they had all the answers. This worked before. This is how you do it. And it's not always the best way to continue. So I love that you're focused on getting out of status quo and curiosity. I was really excited to have you talk about all that today because I think there's just no better time than right now to try and shake things up, to get out of what maybe is holding these companies back. And just wanted to see if there was anything else you wanted to share before we ended today's show, because I could tell you're doing some of the amazing things there. And what what is there that I didn't ask you that you're doing at Cardinal that you'd like to share today? Well, I think I'll I'll add one more point about, you know, reaching out and thinking outside your boxes. I think organizations and especially can large organizations then they can get in their own way. So whether it's creating work or creating policies like just how do you simplify and prioritize what matters the most? I think our jobs as CHROs is to drive business results. We've got so much on our plate to do that. What's the culture? What's talent? Labor sustainability and turnover is obviously a hot topic. Hybrid work. So how do you think about just getting away the minutia of things that don't matter? So we kind of question everything around how can we simplify that? And, you know, we've done some big things like eliminating tracking for PTO for our exempt level population. But it could be as something as simple as just, do you need to really need a dress code? Or, or again, how do you build, how do you think about it? When you, when you dig down to some of those smaller organizations, they're like, we don't have time to write 25 policies. Again, just thinking around and listening to your employees. I think we can learn so much if we just go out and listen to our employees around what really matters the most. And, you know, that's something that we've done over this past couple of years. And I think it's worked well for us. And I know it can work well for others as well. Well, I can't think of a better place to end than that. That's such great advice. And I really enjoyed having you on the show, Ola. This has been really helpful for so many people. And what you're doing at Cardinal Health is very inspiring. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Dr. Hamilton. We always love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, head over to gmn.net and say hello. That's where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. Be sure to follow Global Mentor Network on Twitter and LinkedIn. And don't forget to head over to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe for more tips to elevate your impact. While you're at it, leave a rating and comment. It helps us to keep improving the podcast for you. 
see you next time for another episode of Leaders Playbook.